Hello, and welcome to 404 Podcast Found. I'm your host, Owen Gottimer. This episode is brought to you by Agile Plus DevOps Virtual Plus, where you'll enjoy the same great content from the popular Agile Plus DevOps conference series from the comfort of your own digital device. We'll have more on that later. For now, let's jump into the episode. Greg Pascal is an evangelist in testing sciences, the lead author for realworldtestautomation.com, and an international speaker. He is also the creator of METS, or Minimal Essential Testing Strategy. Greg and I recently sat down and talked about testing as a craft, choosing the right test automation tools, and current testing trends around the world. You know, some of the stuff we've been using for a while, uh, you know, Zoom and uh, Teams and other, other, other technologies like this, a lot of us are familiar with, but ironically, even outside of the world of, um, of what you and I might, you know, work with and code and um, testing and automation, I think about how this has uh, uh, helped our families, you know, uh, to learn how to use uh, uh, this sort of technology to stay connected, which has been a, a real, a real blessing in the, in the, in the end of the game. And I'm really thankful for that. Um, I was amazed that uh, to be able to do this meetup internationally, how smooth it went. Uh, it was with a meetup in, in Singapore. Uh, we did a, just a regular presentation like I would do um, at a star conference. Uh, we had, you know, some probably 25 or, or so people that attended. And other than that, you know, the time zone difference, it was, uh, I think it was late in the middle, middle of the night, you know, for me, and it was in the daytime for them. But other than that, it went really smooth. We didn't really have any technical problems at all. And you got to hand it to companies like Zoom who have scaled up for a situation like this and are doing such a great job with the capacity needs that must be out there right now. Yeah, absolutely. I know that uh, Zoom is definitely uh, becoming a household name because of all of this. Um, And yeah, I agree. I I think that there's some... Uh, funny scenarios. My brother, my older brother called me the other day and told me that he he had taught my grandma how to use Zoom. Um, so yeah, I think from a familiar perspective, it's definitely been awesome that we've been able to not only as technologists get better at using the technology, but as non-technologists started to use and embrace the technology that will allow us to communicate, you know, worldwide, which is really cool. Um, something yeah. interesting is obviously you mentioned that, you know, you went and did this, uh, this meetup in, in Singapore. I was interested in, in learning more about if they, people in Singapore are going through the same types of challenges from a, in a testing, in the testing world as people here are stateside. So obviously stateside, we're talking a lot about test automation and we're moving into the AI space and, uh, CI, CD pipelines and, and that sort of thing. Is it, is that kind of a global trend? Um, were they experiencing the same kind of things, uh, it, the group you talked to in Singapore? Sure. I think that it seems to be pretty universal. Uh, you know, I'm really well connected internationally on meetup and the questions I get come from every corner of the world are, are common things about how to up my game and the, in the area automation, What's the next steps for me to grow? I, I, I literally get that from the, every reach of the world right now. And I love to hear it because it's something I, I, I love to help coach people towards uh, and, and work towards. Uh, the talk I gave with the Singapore group was my uh, minimal essential test strategy talk, which is uh, often referred to as METS, METSTesting.com is where folks can learn about that. And so I like that this is still a very fundamental principle that even um, a group like this that's very experienced at QA is still looking at refining their game at having a great manual test strategy 
to me, a, a great test engineer has a plan. And METS is one of many tools folks can use to have a good manual test strategy. So, yeah, I, I, I haven't found that there's gaps for somewhere they're not experiencing it yet. Um, it's, it feels like as a community, as, as a, a quality community of folks that are pressing into this space, that we're moving along pretty well regardless of location. Absolutely. We're seeing similar trends uh, with the TechWell community. We have people popping on to the TechWell hub from all corners of the world. And yeah, people are experiencing, we, we've done a, uh, we've done like a visual cloud, like a word cloud. Um, we ask people when they come into our community spaces, what the biggest challenges they're facing right now. And we've done a world word cloud and it is the same topics from everywhere. We're, we're kind of seeing trends uh, globally. Um, so I think that's important. I know another thing you like talking about, you know, obviously uh, you're very passionate about testing and quality. And I know one thing that you enjoy talking about is testing as a craft. Oh, yeah. And I was hoping maybe we could dive into that because uh, when we chatted about that, that's the first time I've ever heard anyone use that expression. So I was hoping maybe you could give an explanation as to what testing as a craft is. And then we can dive a little bit down that uh, down that rabbit hole and, and, and give the audience some insight as to what testing as a craft is. Man, I love this this topic, Owen. Oh, I think, yeah, probably the first time we spoke a couple of years ago, I probably brought it up. Have you have you noticed in our testing community? And I'm sure a lot of the listeners can relate to this. That the the world of quality assurance, the world of of testing, sometimes is really kind of dumbed down. Just to you're the guy that runs the test cases, or you're the guy that approves my you know my code before it gets released to production but there's a real science, there's a real craft to the work that we do, uh, an engineering craft. And, and you're right, I'm very passionate about this space because there's something to be pursued here that helps us to get better than just that guy over there that I send code to and he, and he tests it and he, you know, he ships it. So uh, this is something our, our QA team is going through here at Ramsey Solutions. Uh, I'm, I've started by using the ISTQB curriculum as a kind of a foundational level course curriculum and so I'm breaking it up each week and we're taking the team through it so they can so we can make sure that they've got the fundamentals of testing uh, really well um, you know in their belts and ready to pull out when they need it but there's something mental also that a test engineer needs to pursue this work with uh, with a desire to become exceptional at it or excellent at it uh, and it's it's, you know, you tell me what you think about this, but I, I think it's, it's a reality, it's an unfortunate reality that a, a test engineer or someone that's a role as an analyst or an engineer can be very busy doing what appears to be testing and yet reducing no risk at all. Uh, because the work we do looks like I'm moving my mouse, I'm clicking buttons, I'm working on mobile, I'm interacting with APIs. It looks, looks like work, but it can be just busy work that has no no risk reduction uh, benefits to it. And this is the part I want to encourage our community towards. Um, you know, I, I don't want to use the word pride in the wrong sense, but I, I think there's something to be said that um, I own this space and I want to help shape it um, to be a respectful science, a respectful engineering field that people want to want to seek after and they want to become better at and it's just not a road to development or just a road to you know being a product owner or whatever that might be absolutely i think it's crucial that we have people that are passionate about the quality space and as you mentioned not just using it as a stepping stone to get to 
uh, a you know a development position or a PO position, a, a business analyst position. So I think that that's really um, an important thing that we are, yeah, taking pride in our work as quality people. And I think that it's also important that we are kind of instilling that quality mindset across our entire team and then across our entire organization. And hopefully, as people that are not traditionally quality people start to learn uh, what goes into quality and they start thinking about quality and, and developers start coding quality in and uh, product people start considering quality while they're moving through the pipeline and understanding why it's so important. And that quality and quality assurance is not really just a roadblock before getting to the end. And I think I think quality maybe has moved away from that direction. I think people as organizations and teams are starting to understand uh, the importance and, and of quality. I think uh, security might be going through something that quality went through 10 years ago uh, in mm -hmm. terms of seeming like the roadblock yes. before they can release, um, which I think is obviously super important as well. Um, when you were talking about, uh, you know, testers clicking buttons and, and, you know, it might seem like busy work because they're not necessarily producing risks and, and understanding risks and then not producing risks, sorry, understanding risk and reducing those risks based on uh, some, some exploration that they've done. How much uh, of a role does test automation play in being able to kind of, you know, quote, click the buttons and kind of do some of those verification things that are maybe a little bit more repetitive allowing the, the, the quality and the, the quality assurance people and the testers to actually dive in there and really explore risk uh, and, and get the risk management done. Oh yeah. I love this topic, you know, automations in my DNA and uh, I, I might have a little different perspective than most people think when it comes to automation. I mean, this has been a great field to be a part of for a very long time. Uh, I've been working in it close to over 35 years now, believe it or not. And um, I think that automation, in a way, is kind of like test engineering. Matter of fact, it, it might even be, have, have more snags along the road that can get you tripped up because like the same way of uh, being able to write code uh, that you know, clicks buttons and moves through fields and things like that, that can look like something is getting tested. And you and I both know at the end of the day, nothing might be getting tested at all. We might just be you know, kind of moving through an app. I look at test automation um, almost like a cordless drill or a tool in a tool belt of a manual test engineer. I always couple those things together. And this is a different belief than, than maybe some of the listeners have out there. Some, some QA managers and others look at automation as a means of replacing a manual test engineer. I don't look at that at all. I look at it as empowering the test engineer with new tools and insights uh, that are harder to detect manually. So uh, I believe we automate not for speed, but we automate for consistency of execution. And speed might just come along as a benefit, but our target isn't to do things faster. Our target is to do things consistently the same way over and over. Uh, and I teach this concept that applications have a type of personality to them. And when you run um, automation on it over and over again, you begin to learn the personality of an application. Anybody who's ever owned their first car, that old car, knows what this is like you know every morning you got to pump the gas twice and turn it over and you know pray a little bit and maybe it'll start up um, some applications can be very temperamental and like that others are very specific they got to have the right kind of fuel they got to be you know it's got to be exactly the right things in line for them to come on others are like a race car and uh, they're very well tuned but you don't know that unless you have a way of tracking and um, analyzing 
results over a period of time. So I always couple our automation with good reporting over, um, over time frame, and that gives us incredible insights uh, as well into our automation. And I got one other piece I want, I want to throw on there. When we often talk about test automation, most folks go to what I call custom automation. Custom automation is the most traditional type of automation people think of, which is I go to this URL or I go onto this app uh, and I begin to click this button and I put this data in and blah, blah, blah at the end of the day. This is the most expensive automation you can write. It's the most expensive to maintain. But what if there were other forms of automation? And they are. There are many others. We have a type of automation we call the sanity check here. It's all it does is it goes to a static URL and it checks for some call to action, some basic things on a page. We've enhanced it to do things we call audits. So it'll do link audits. It'll do, it'll check for other things based on that page and it gives us great win. So I look at our sanity test as the dollar store of test automation. We also have custom tests, those are the expensive ones, whenever you have to build something custom. And we try to help our team understand when do they need one and when do they need the other so that we equip them with great tools going forward, all providing reported results that they can analyze at the end of the run. I love the idea that we're not using automation to replace uh, manual testers. I think the tool piece is so important. I heard an analogy at a conference maybe a year and a half ago when a chef uses a food processor to cook your food, you don't thank the food processor. The chef still had to put the work in with that tool and had to know how to use that tool and had to know the strategy behind cooking your food to get the results. So it was still a person that's kind of driving the, the use of that tool. And I heard another analogy the other day, if you, uh, if you give, the, if you give the, the worst carpenter in the world the best hammer in the world, they're still the worst carpenter in the world. The idea being that, you know, you, you, the tool doesn't solve all the problems. You still have to have that mindset of a tester and have quality assurance to be able to drive that forward. That's right. To be a test automation engineer, our team, you've got to be a, you've got to be a Jedi test engineer. I expect you to be a great test engineer. Then you'll write good test automation. Um, you just don't want someone who's only a coder to do it because they'll begin to do what we call go for green. They'll begin to automate things that they automate to pass. They may automate a passing test, not a testing test. So uh, you want that mindset of a test engineer behind it to make sure that they're validating the proper things along the way. Uh, and you know what? Let's face it. Automation is pretty blind for the most part. It can drive right past the most blaring defect and not see it and still pass. So you've got to have the, the, you know, the eyes and the brains of that manual test engineer still looking at what's going on to detect things like that. Absolutely. So one of the things, obviously, we, you were talking about, and, and I kind of uh, shift gears there, I'm going to shift back, is the reporting and the data side of things. So obviously, you run your tests, uh, or you, you know, you perform your tests, whether it's manually, uh, exploratory, through test automation, through some sort of artificial intelligence or machine learning. But at the end of the day, you get these reports, you know, you should be getting these reports back to you, kind of the, yes. the, the, the data behind what the test actually uh, produced, because having the test and not actually analyzing it is basically not having the test. So you need to figure out what steps you want to take after the fact. Uh, when you do get those reports back, what do you recommend people do with those reports? And, and I'm sure they differ report to report and test to test, but what value do we need to add after the reports have been generated and that the, the teams are able to kind of analyze those reports? Well, believe it or not, pass and fail results aren't always the first thing I go after. Lots of times I'm looking at duration of test execution. 
Um, it's one of the first things that's worth capturing. Uh, of course, you want to capture whether the, the test passed or failed. That's kind of a no-brainer. But uh, if you could just capture how long did this test run, uh, this test take to execute versus the last time I execute, that's actually a pretty, pretty in interesting information, especially if you can look at it over a week, a time, a, a month, or even a year, you begin to detect soft fails before an application ever fails. Something is coming along the way. And this is a great thing to give you insight of the, app, of the personality, again, of the application. Like, hey, this thing's getting more latent over time, but it's so, it's, it's, it's so small incrementally that it's happening that I wouldn't know it unless I hadn't used it for a whole year and I can remember what it was like a year ago. So our first area of reporting was simply we, we build our automation on top of Ruby and Ruby has a test runner called RSpec and we leverage just RSpec's basic reporting capability. It's actually a unit test framework that we've leveraged to, for test automation and we've had to kind of uh, tweak it a little bit to be more fitting to, I'd say traditional testing terminology and things like that, but it, that wasn't that difficult to do. And when we put that in place, we immediately enabled and we began to find things that were right under our nose all along because now our tester didn't need to remember, hey, did this work like this last time? They now had it in a simple email they could look at one over the other and, and it became a great tool for us. Now we put data into a data lake, uh, Elastic Stacks data lake, and we do analysis and dashboards through Kibana. It's amazing the things that we have now compared to where we started five years ago. Absolutely. How do you see that? Uh, that obviously in the last five years, there's been a huge amount of improvements in that space. How do you see that trend continuing forward? And and do you think that the improvements are just going to continue to pile on as we move forward and start to understand the tools and the tech better and our needs better? Yeah, I think it it needs to. But I think that uh, the QA manager and the and the automation engineers need to be wise about one thing. Look at everybody's selling something. So when you're looking at a product and you see a pretty pie chart or whatever, don't be enamored just because there's a pretty picture on the screen. Ask, is this data actionable? All the visualizations, which are what dashboards are made up of, all the visualizations we add to dashboards are actionable in some way. We just added a new one. I was at a conference called QA in the Highway up um, uh, a month or two ago, and I came away from that conference with this idea, why don't I go ahead and enhance the reporting to provide root cause insights to our automation failures? That turned out to be an exceptional addition. It gives our team insight to trends in types of defects that, we, that we're able to detect with our automation. So where I would hope to see this grow is as uh, open source continues to evolve, maybe in the area of reporting and as off-the-shelf tools evolve, that those companies are putting in the right types of, uh, of visualized data that's actionable and not just a pretty picture. That's, that's the biggest hindrance I've seen with reporting is people can be really enamored by something that looks great on the wall but doesn't really tell you anything. So ask this question, what do I do with this information that helps me develop a better product and reduce risk you know, better than I did a day ago? And I think it's important too, because the, I think the visualization and, and those pretty charts sometimes translate better to certain groups of people in terms of, uh, you know, maybe business executives care less about the granularity of the test. They want to know the, the money side of things. And sometimes charts and graphics help illustrate sure. trends in, in financial situations. So I think that that's Great obviously uh, crucial, but I think that you're right that if we're as the practitioners using the tools, 
and, and deciding on tools based on pretty pictures and pretty graphics and that they have a cool website um, and not really what we're trying to accomplish and the needs we have. I think that's super crucial. And uh, this is another interesting thing that I think kind of comes from this is deciding on which tools to use. I think a lot of times people kind of pigeonhole themselves and say, oh, everyone is using Selenium to do this type of automated testing. I need to use Selenium without actually uh-huh. taking a step back and saying, what do I want to accomplish? What are my goals? What are my business requirements? How do you recommend people go about picking tools? Uh, you've mentioned a few already on the podcast today. How do you go mm-hmm. rec- about recommending which tools organizations should be using and which tools teams should be using uh, when they're trying to go down the path of test automation? Wow, that's a great question. It's one I get asked often. I'm surprised, to be honest, I did a survey a couple years ago and threw some questions out how people chose the tool that they did. And by far the largest answer was because it was free. What an unfortunate scenario that one, either that the team has been put in the place where they have no budget. Can you imagine uh, how, many, how many people do you know who, who select a screen capture tool? They spend hours looking for a great free screen capture tool when they could just get a great tool like Snagit that's, you know, one of the best tools out there to do this. The same thing is true with test automation tools. To to be honest, Selenium is probably one of the most expensive automation tools I've ever used because it's often um, viewed as a test automation tool when it's not. It's an API to interact with a browser, the end. Uh, You still have to build out the entire framework and all of the, uh, you know, versioning pieces and how you're going to distribute and execute this thing on what so um, I would be careful about being enamored just after the, you know, the, you know, the free price tag. I, I like the fact I've used both, you know, Selenium and I've used other tools that are off the shelf. Um, one of the things I like about off the shelf tools is there's someone to call when something's not working right. And we just ran into an issue with the uh, WebDriver and Chrome and uh, it took us a good day to troubleshoot it. That, that, somebody had to pay for that. And, uh, you know, there was nobody to call at the end of the day. So we had to research it and figure it out and pull in folks. That was a pretty expensive outage just because uh, of a web driver issue that uh, hit a lot of folks out there. Uh, so I would say, you know, probably the first thing to consider is, you know, uh, do I have a lot of extra time on my hands to troubleshoot things and build things from scratch? If you do, then maybe go with Selenium as your API. Uh, the Selenium API to interact with a you know, web browser is a way to go. But Realize you're about to sign up for a whole lot of other dev you're about to you're about to do or find you know another open source framework. Uh, you know these a lot of other tools are pretty expensive out there as well. But uh, uh, when it comes to one other thing with tools, whether it's uh, it's open source or it's an off the shelf tool, I often tell folks uh, use a tool as designed, not as discovered. So if you buy an off the shelf tool. Then for Pete's sake, you know, set aside some budget to send a couple folks to get the training on to use it. When we started to use Selenium, the first thing I did is looked for a great teacher out there, and we we found Dave Hefner, and we wound up purchasing his training materials, and we said, this seems sound. Other people are using it. He seems accessible. And so uh, we wound up uh, purchasing his materials, and it became the foundation for how we move forward with our automation. I think those are all great points. Uh, the I you know, free tools aren't free. At some level, you're paying for them um, through extra development work or through trials and tribulations of having to learn the tool and not have the training or the the client support that some of the paid tools or that all of the paid tools uh, offer through those services. Um, Open source, obviously, is such a huge uh, driver for a lot of things. I think a lot of organizations uh, maybe use open source, uh, especially open source that's 
has a big community behind it because mm -hmm. they're able to spin it up for free. Um, obviously there's time involved in that and that costs money, but if they're able to spin it up for free and test it even for a little bit of time, if it's something that's easy to get started with, um, they're kind of able to explore whether a paid option is going to make sense for them. Sure. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. You know, people, people see that free tag and think that it's free. And in reality, uh, nothing's free. You know, you're either paying for the product itself, which comes with the support and comes with the training, uh, or you're paying for the development work and, and the learning curve and the not having support when things go wrong if you're using an open source project. So I definitely appreciate um, both sides of that coin. And I think that uh, to your point, it's just super important that you're, you're kind of looking for the tool and, and using it for its design. As you mentioned, Selenium is not a test automation tool. Um, you know, it, it's an ABI tool that interacts with a web browser. And if you're using it as a test automation tool, you're definitely spending more money on that trying to figure out how to use it as a test automation tool than you would be if you just purchased a out of the box test automation tool. Yes, but it's one of the areas that's probably the most misrepresented in our field is uh, I see this on LinkedIn profiles all, all the time. You know, I'm a Selenium test automation engineer. I, I don't even know what that means. Uh, it means they know how to interact with the API, I guess, you know. Um, so it's broader than that. And uh, you're, you're signing up for a lot more than that when you use Selenium. And we use it exclusively here, and I love it. And it's working great for us. But uh, because I've, used, I've seen both sides of this, I, I recognize how expensive uh, this tool set really costs us. And it's one of the things I talked to my leader about as we were uh, approaching this is, you know, there's nothing that's going to be free in here. We're about to embark upon building a whole lot of, a whole, whole lot of things that we could buy right off the shelf. And, and through that came the benefits of us being able to customize the reporting we want, which doesn't exist in off-the-shelf tools right now. So, you know, in that sense, it gave us a real edge, but it took, you know, many, many months of work to, to build that out. Absolutely. I think that uh, people would definitely benefit from kind of taking the time to understand what their needs are, what the tools actually do, and then being able to implement the ones that are going to fit their business requirements based on the needs of the tool. And then of course, as you mentioned, you know, there's opportunities to potentially uh, build some of your own features into some of the, uh, some of the tools to help better facilitate what you need at your organization. I think that's super, uh, super key that every team is going to be a little bit different. Every organization is going to be a little bit different based on what their products are, based on what their services are, based on their team composition and, and their budget and whatnot. So I think that's super, super crucial. Um, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time today to sit down with me on the podcast. I really appreciate sure. catching up with you and um, lots of great insight about test automation, craft of testing. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward uh, to a conversation, hopefully before 18 months. Uh, I know it's been a while since we last chatted. Hopefully sometime uh, sooner than that, we'll get to catch up again and maybe we'll run into each other at a conference um, if and when physical conferences resume uh, stateside. That would so, be great, Greg, Owen. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Thanks, thanks for chatting. I'd love to, uh, uh, one last thing, Owen, I'd like to, uh, to pass on a website for folks that can read about some of the articles. I, I write a lot of articles, including uh, one specific one on the reporting methodology uh, that, we, we, uh, that we developed here. And you can find all that at uh, uh, realworldtestautomation.com. And uh, you'll find about 35 articles on there all around testing and automation. And I hope they'd be helpful to folks. As promised, here's some more about Agile plus DevOps Virtual. In light of recent events, TechWell has morphed the popular Agile plus DevOps West conference into a fully virtual experience this year. 
From the comfort of your own digital device, you will have access to all of the same great content and experts you have come to expect from an Agile Plus DevOps conference. Agile Plus DevOps Virtual will be streaming more than 90 talks in an engaging and interactive premium virtual atmosphere. Plus, with three packages to choose from and a variety of exciting add-on options, you can select the conference package that fits your needs and your budget. I look forward to seeing you there. We'd love to continue this conversation and more on the TechWell Hub. You can join our Slack community at hub.techwell.com. And remember to check out techwell.com to learn about our expert training, conferences, and communities for software professionals.